everybody. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. All right. Yes, test, 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 okay. test. Got rid of the reverb. Do you okay. like reverb on your voice? Or? It doesn't matter. Okay, it's top now. <laughs> hello, hello. There you go. That's pretty okay. nice. All right. Okay, so um, let's give another rounding applause for that wonderful kirtan. Awesome. Now, see, I, I don't have to do this class now. I can just leave. That's, that's just happiness. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so where can we find happiness? What is it to be happy? You know, we talk about happiness, you know, all the time. We want to achieve it. We want to get it. We want to possess it. You know, what do we do with happiness? What is happiness exactly? Well, it's pleasure, right? It's contentment, it's joy, it's merriment, it's satisfaction. Yeah. And oftentimes in our world in which we live in, we basically, how do we achieve that? How do we get our happiness? Usually we, um, well, say we start off uh, having an idea what we want to do for a living, right? Like a job or something like that we really want. Now that changes over the time period, you know. They used to say that what you really want to be when you were 12 years old is probably what you should pursue. You know? <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but the bottom line is, is we have all these dreams, right, that we want to we wanna pursue to make us happy. I mean, why would we do it anyway? Why do we go through all this schooling we go through in college, universities, you know, to learn a trade, to learn a job, just to learn to do a job, learn to do something unless we want something out of it. Now the job could be fulfilling, yes, but oftentimes these days I see that it's about earning the money, you know, getting the monetary gain out of it so you can buy things to make you happy or get things that can make you happy. So what is it that makes you happy? You know? So anyone want to volunteer? What is it that makes you happy? Mm. Okay, what is it makes you happy? No, you're a devotee. <laughs> of course, giving your Yeah. Love. Love. Love makes you happy. Okay. What else makes you happy? Making other people happy. Helping helping other people. Helping other people be happy, right? Okay. Yeah. Alina, do you have something back there? Oh, I was going to say to give self-esteem. Yeah. There you go. What else? What makes you happy? Relationships. Relationship makes you happy. So all these things we try to achieve in our happiness, we try to try to gain like, things and stuff like that in our lives. So let's close our eyes for a second and imagine one thing that you have everything you've ever wanted to make you happy. You know, maybe you've got that car, you've got that house, you've got that all the nice rich food you've ever wanted, you know. You've got a nice mate, spouse that you've always wanted that makes you happy. Maybe you have some children if you wanted that. You've got all those things. You've got everything that you ever possibly could desire. Now what? After you have all that, now what are you going to do? What's going to happen? Okay. It means that, what? Well, either you will want more. 
Let's see, you got that nice house, you got that nice car, you got all that. Well, you'll enjoy it for a while. You'll have some pleasure from it for a while. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, there's that new car that just came out with the new whatever. Oh, this screen TV's a little bigger. I think I'll go get that. Okay, so you go get that for a while. Well, you'll enjoy that for a little bit, and then what happens? The next thing occurs. And then it continues on and on and on and on. We're never really happy, ever, or satisfied in our lives. We think we might be in the future, you know, with these things. But it never really cuts the mustard. You know, basically we do four things in our lives. We eat, we sleep, we mate, and we defend all that that we get from that, that surrounds that. Just think about it. I mean, we, we go to, well, let's say we, we go to work or go to school. We get off work and we get off school. And then what do we do? We, well, we've got to get something to eat. We're hungry. You know? So we go get something to eat. Okay, well, what do I want to eat? Oh, I want to eat this today. Oh, I want to, you know, maybe a nice pizza. I want that. Or maybe I want to go out and get some Mexican food. Or maybe I want to go out and get this or whatever. So we'll go out and get it. So we're always sad, trying to satisfy ourselves, but once we ate it, well, it's over, it's done. Now it's on to the next thing, okay? But we want to have surround that around us all the time, that good food so we can eat it. And then after the day has gone by, maybe we'll go home. We'll get on maybe, you know, the newest, uh, what is it, the gaming consoles that we do and play some games on the computer, sit back and relax. You know, some of us still drink alcohol, may have a beer, may have something else. And then we sit back and we relax. You know? And then it's time to go to sleep. Oh, man. I didn't get no sleep last night. I had to get up so early in the morning. I got to get some more sleep tonight. So we sleep for about eight, nine, ten hours. And we sleep. Then we get up. And then we do it again. And then in our pursuit of all this, we have goals. I want that job that I want to get. I want all that new stuff I want to get, all in pursuit of some sort of satisfaction, constantly striving to satisfy ourselves. And then, of course, we have to have someone to share it with, a spouse, maybe a mate of some sort. So we go out and we date, do all that, get fixed up, get ourselves in shape, you know, we spend all the time doing that to get this spouse or get this mate, okay? And then maybe one mate one week was fine, and the next week, nah, kind of tired of that person. Want somebody else. That's how it goes. Then we might find someone, that special someone we always look for. Go ahead and meet them. Maybe get married. Decide, hey, we're going to have some kids. So we have some kids. Okay? So we have children. And the children then grow up, and they have to be involved in activities. And you have to have a house to shelter yourself so you can sleep be safe, have a sanctuary that you can be safe in, and your family. So you get all these things. You know, this is the cycle. This is how it all works. And then eventually, what do you have to do with all that? Well, you have to defend what you have. You don't want to take it away. So we may go out and learn some martial art, like jujitsu or something, to protect our family, or we go buy a gun, or or weapon of some sort, whatever. We have to defend all this stuff that we gain around eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Okay? That's the cycle of what we think 
is happiness. But it's all fleeting and temporary. It's never going to be enough. You'll never be enough. Because you'll go from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing. It's never permanent. And it will go away. You will go away. This body itself is very temporary. But we continue to try to satisfy it through our senses, through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. All these things we try to satisfy all the time. Striving, striving, striving. And in the end, really, we are born, we live, we get old, we get diseased, and we die. This body dies, right? So this is the idea of our idea of what happiness is, but yet it is all very temporary. Um, I looked up an article called The Art of Happiness in Psychology Today. This is what science says about happiness. Happiness, to try to judge happiness is that it's an elusive state, elusive state. You know, it's hard to define. Philosophers, theologians, stuff like that, they really can't pinpoint it, they say. Uh, in fact, a whole realm of psychology called positive psychology is surrounded about the art of happiness. Yeah. So basically, it's uh, more than s simply a positive mood. Happiness is a state of well-being, they say, that encompasses living a good life. That is, with a sense of meaning and deep satisfaction. Okay. It goes on to say that uh, money is important to happiness, but only to a certain point. Money buys freedom from worry about the basics in life, housing, food, clothing. But it also happens has to do with our genetic makeup, according to psychology today. Also life circumstances, achievements, marital status, social relationships, even our neighbors, all influence how happy we are. All surrounded by this idea of associating the material world. Um, so even psychology and scientists are, are looking at this idea of happiness, but they look on it in a very superficial level in many ways, all associating with what? Associating with the fact, right, that we are a body. This body, this physical body and satisfying this physical body is what it's all about because when we say, who are you? Well, you say your name and say what you do and you know, and you all associate this in, with this body. But the idea of all this is the body is the one thing we have to understand about real happiness and true happiness and finding happiness is we have to understand one thing that we are not a body. We are a spirit soul, an eternal spirit soul. I was on a great bumper sticker the other day. I thought it was really cool in the car. And it said, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. I look at that and said, wow, that's pretty cool. Somebody made that up, kind of had a little bit of, a little bit of intuition and insight there. So basically that's what we are. We are eternal spirit souls, spiritual beings that are in a, a possessing or inside a human body. That's temporary, that's gonna go away. And all the things that we gain in this pursuit of happiness on this level, in this material existence, is going to go away too. It's not going to last forever. 
So true happiness is eternal. And that true happiness is first, like I said, we have to realize and understand that we are not a physical body. We are an eternal spirit soul. Now, if we accept that, okay, where do we go from there? How does that make me happy? First, we got to understand is if we're an eternal spirit soul, then what are we supposed to be doing as an eternal spirit soul? I mean, we're doing all this other stuff as a physical body. What are we supposed to be doing then on that level? So we find out from bona fide authorities is that we are actually loving, devoted servants of God. That's who we are. That's our occupation or loving, devoted servants of Krishna. Once we get to that point, we understand that, then we say, oh, okay, we're not the body, we're internal spirit souls, and we're loving, devoted servants of Krishna. So now, once we understand that, that changes things quite a bit of what we pursue and what we understand our pursuit of what is going to make us happy. If we continue along the way of pursuing material things, we know it's going to be temporary, we know it's going to go away. But if we accept the fact of who we really are and what we really are, and we start pursuing that, then all of a sudden we find out, really, we start to touch what real happiness, lasting happiness is, because it goes beyond the physical body. So, Also, along this understanding of being loving, devoted servants of Krishna, we also understand, too, that we are parts and partial of God, of Krishna. And Krishna is the reservoir of all pleasure. Happiness and pleasure. Pleasure is a synonym of happiness. So if that's the case, if he's the source of all happiness, well then, there's your happiness, eternal. It's going to last forever. It's going to last past this body and the many bodies after that, if you have that. But if you pursue that, really sincerely pursue that occupation, then you'll go right back to him and you won't take another body. It's just that simple. So, one of the things in which we kind of have in our society, too, is one word that we said in this, is loving, devoted servant. In the material world, servant oftentimes has a negative connotation to it, doesn't it? Yeah. We associate servant as uh, slave, you know? These are different things I found out in negative associations of the word servant. Slave, drudge, flunky, lackey, minion. You know, these are the words that sometimes when we associate in the material world, I don't want to serve anybody. I want to be the boss. I want to be the one being served. You know, this is our attitude oftentimes. So when we say to people, loving, devoted servant, they go, oh, wait a minute. Why do I want to serve somebody? Why do I want to serve that? You know? So this is the negative connotations we have to this word. So the idea is this, is that think about it for a second, the material world, that you serve something or somebody regardless of whether you don't like being a servant. That's just a reality in life. You have an inherited ability and a natural tendency to serve 
Right, so you go to school. You're serving your teacher, right? Teacher tells you, gives you instructions. You want to please your teacher. So you're serving your teacher. In a job, maybe. You got a boss. You got to serve them in some way. Spouse, you got to serve the spouse. You got to serve your children. Even if you have a pet, you have to serve the pet. You got to feed them, take them out for a walk. If it's a dog, cat, clean out the litter box. You're serving something all the time. It's within your nature to do so. Yeah, your parents, right? So it's not really when we say that, well, I don't want to be a servant. Well, you already are. You're already doing it right now. You're serving. So when we change, when we understand that and we change that to serving God or serving Krishna, our natural tendency, then all of a sudden things become very, very spiritualized. Very, very higher up. It changes our lives totally when we do that. So the idea here is that you want to understand again that you are not a physical body. You're not this material body. You have a spirit, so you are a spirit soul. I know there's a joke that, uh, or actually a little thing that our Guru Maharaj always says, you know, about soul. What does he say about the soul? What's that? Yeah, do you have a soul? And uh, people usually say, yeah, I have a soul. I did that for a long time before I got it. <laughs> I really did. He says, yeah, I have a soul. Yeah, yeah. And he says, no, you are a soul. You don't have a soul. You have a body. So again, it's, it's rethinking that. Rethinking your place and who you are and what you are. And that's how you find the happiness, the real happiness, the true happiness, not the fleeting stuff that just goes away. I'm going to read a little bit out of the um, Sriam Bhagavatam about this. So we'll go to Sriam Bhagavatam. We have two, for new people here that don't know, we have, uh, we have a lot of wonderful Vedic scriptures. But two big ones, two main Vedic scriptures of the Bhagavad Gita, as it is, and the Sriman Bhavatam. Those are the two biggies. And this comes from the Sriman Bhavatam. I'm not going to bother with the Sanskrit. I'll just read the translation here. And this is from the seventh canto, okay, and the ninth chapter, and 20th verse. In this material world, every living entity desires some future happiness, which is exactly like a mirage in a desert. Where is water in the desert? Or in other words, where is happiness in this material world? As for this body, what is its value? It is merely a source of various diseases. The so-called philosophers, scientists, and politicians know this very well. But nonetheless, they aspire for temporary happiness. Happiness is very difficult to obtain. But because they are unable to control their senses... They run after the so-called happiness in the material world and never come to the right conclusion. Now, His Divine Grace Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, this was his purport, his commentary on this. Yes. Certainly, be more than happy to. In this material world, every entity desires some future happiness. 
which is exactly like a mirage in the desert. Where is water in the desert? Or in other words, where is happiness in this material world? As for this body, what is its value? It is merely a source of various diseases. The so-called philosophers, scientists, politicians know this very well, but nonetheless they aspire for temporary happiness. Happiness is very difficult to obtain, but because they are unable to control their senses, they run after the so-called happiness in the material world and never come to the right conclusion. Okay. So the report is, there is a song in the Mongali language that states, I construct this home for happiness, but unfortunately there was a fire and everything has now been burnt to ashes. This illustrates the nature of material happiness. Everyone knows it, but nonetheless, one plans to hear or think something very pleasing. Unfortunately, all of one's plans are annihilated in due course of time. There were many politicians who planned empires, supremacy, and control over the world, but in, two, in due time, all their plans and em, uh, empires, and even the politicians themselves, were vanquished. Everyone should take lessons from Prahlad Maharaj about how we are engaged in so-called temporary happiness through bodily exercises for sense enjoyment. All of us repeatedly make plans which are all repeatedly frustrated. Therefore, one should stop such plan making. As one cannot stop a blazing fire by constantly pouring ghee upon it, one cannot satisfy oneself by increasing plans for sense enjoyment. The blazing fire is Baba Maha Dabagni, the forest fire of material existence. This forest fire occurs automatically without endeavor. We want to be happy in the material world, but this will never be possible. We shall simply, we shall simply increase the blazing fire of desires. Our desires cannot be satisfied by illusory thoughts and plans. Rather, we have to follow the instructions of Lord Krishna. Abandon all varieties of religion and just surrender unto me. I shall deliver you from all sinful reaction. Do not fear. That's from the Bhagavad Gita. And that's the 16th, 18th chapter, 66th verse. Then we shall be happy. Otherwise, in the name of happiness, we shall continue to suffer miserable conditions. Jai Shri so right there, as you see, that basically you can't find real happiness in this material world. Now, on top of all that, what you can do is once you start to accept these things and live your life as who you really are, a spirit soul, and dedicate yourself and surrender yourself to God, to Krishna, and start your path towards devotional service, and you can do this in many ways. A real simple way is chanting the holy names of, of Krishna, which we did with Kirtan. That was one way of doing it. So that's how you start to purify yourself and cleanse yourself and change your, shift your thinking. In other words, from material consciousness to Krishna consciousness. So that's one way. We have a great book, actually. And if you don't have the book, 
I'd like to get a couple of copies so we can give those out. That's Chant and Be Happy. It's a, it's a fantastic little book about this very thing. And it talks about that. Okay, right in the beginning. So, again, devotional service, surrendering yourself to Krishna, and following that path, chanting the holy names, and eventually, as time goes by, you'll start to learn about what real happiness is in this world now as well. Also, we all have to work. I mean, let's face it, we all have to eat, we all have to sleep, you know, we all have to do those things, okay? So what we do is we spiritualize that, we turn it around. You know, we eat good food, like tonight we'll eat what we call prashadam, which is blessed food, it's all vegetarian food. So we eat that, and we eat moderately and simply. You know, don't overindulge, you know, things like that. Yeah, it's okay every once in a while, you wanna go and have a Coke, okay, fine. <laughs> but the thing is, is that you wanna make sure that you get rid of a lot of that type of stuff. You know, just start simplifying adding that to your life a little bit at a time it'll all become spiritualized again sleeping don't don't spend a lot of time sleeping you know I mean really if you get to bed and you have a good life and you're doing what you need to do six hours maybe seven at the most it's all you really need if you're getting good quality sleep so again moderation within these things that's what it takes. Part of it. It's little things you can do. When you're at work, you know, you can still chant the holy names. Chant the holy names whenever you get a possibility. That's the really the easiest way to start to be happy. In this world of finding happiness. You know, I remember when I used to, I worked at Pima Community College. I was a teacher over there for, and worked in the computer lab. I was there for almost 20 years. And I remember when I had my little 15 minute breaks, I used to go out and what do I do? I chant my rounds. Or I'd meditate. I was meditating at that time too a lot. But I would also chant rounds. I would take that time, that 15 minute break, which I had twice a day, and I would go out and do that. At lunchtime, I'd spend maybe 10 minutes eating my lunch, then I'd go chant the rest of the time. You know, it's easy to do. Or think about it. You know, if you're in a job where you can, every once in a while, you can kind of, you know, we don't constantly work. I mean, there's even lull times, even at call centers, for goodness sake, which is very common. Sometimes you're just waiting for the phone. Okay. You know, when you're doing that, chant. Any opportunity you get to remember Krishna, use it. That's an easy way to turn your life around, no matter what you're doing. And that is pursuing the real essence of happiness, is through this. All right, so any questions we have? Anything else? Comments about happiness? Yes, Bhakta Ernesto. What's, what, what is it about this mantra that makes us happy? What is it about the mantra that makes us happy? Good, as you're, as you're doing your mantra right there. <laughs> yeah. What is it about the mantra that makes us happy? Well, first of all, the mantra is, uh, has a lot of power to it. Okay, for one thing. Mystical potency this particular mantra has. Above a lot of the mantras, there's a lot of mantras out there. You know, from Buddhism you have mantras, a lot of mantras in, in uh, India, different mantras for different types of uh, variations of deities and so forth and so on. But this particular mantra, the Maha Mantra, 
Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, has incredible potency to it. And if some of you have not tried that yet, then please try it. Just experiment with it, see what happens. Try it for a week, being very consistent with it. Try it for a day, see what happens. Yes. What is seen about Krishna in this society? Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. That's proven in the Vedic scriptures and from bona fide authorities. Okay. In our line. Okay. Krishna also, as we said, symbolizes the reservoir of all pleasure. He's the all attractive. So that's the reason that Krishna is very, very special, is because of that fact. And once you experience Krishna through chanting the holy names, which in essence is actually a Krishna's potency, and Krishna himself in many ways, then you'll find that out too as well. Yeah. Yes? Yeah, I was going to mention, Krishna says it's an experiential process. Mm -hmm. So he, he gives a science, and then he says, you, go, you try it, and then you can experience his bliss. So Susukam Kartamadi, he said it's, Everlasting is joyfully performed. Yeah. So it's not something. I mean, it makes practical sense. I mean, there's the science behind it is very solid. It's not just like some sectarian religious dogma. There's a great science behind it. But the great part about it is you can test that science. It's not like it just remains some sort of no idea. Exactly. It's not a vague idea. It's very, right. very specific, very detailed. Absolutely. And then you can actually imbibe it into your. It. So again, if you've never tried it, try it. You know, that's that's the thing. And let it let it take you. I remember um, I know some of the devotees here know my experience, my personal experience is when I first heard it live, you know, nineteen seventy two, for devotees down on Fourth Avenue that were visiting, I guess they were just passing through. I was like in junior high, you know, at that time. A little intimidated, you know. In junior high you're awkward, you know. You want to go up to people or you think you're just kind of shy. But I saw them across the street and they were they were chanting the holy names, you know, like we were here. You know, and I was going, wow, that's so cool. That sounds great. It just, I couldn't get it out of my head, the song out of my head, you know. And I went home with it at night and I had it in my head, you know. And I laid in bed there, it was all quiet. And there it was, you know. So, again, if you... Let it take you and understand the power of that. Then in time, as you practice, then it will certainly uh, have benefits, incredible benefits. So, yes, Jenna, did you have a comment? Well, yeah, I was just going to say, like how you were talking earlier about how, you know, our identity is servants. We're servants. Well, you know, we're supposed to be serving Krishna, but we can choose to serve other things that we want and give the example of people serving at their work or you know their parents and things but really what people are serving in the material world is their false egos you know they're going after fame adoration distinction so you're you know you may be working at a job but you're serving the dollar right. and by proxy you know you're doing what the manager tells you because if you don't you won't make money and so when you switch 
you're serving Krishna, you know, like you said, you can still be doing the same things, but they become spiritualized. Um, and, you know, Chris, it's not like Krishna is going to come and be like, oh, you do this and this and this for me. He does it. He sends his devotees. You serve Krishna's devotees and, and you chant the mantra. And that's how, but what we're really serving by doing these things is Krishna. And that's what, what makes us happy. I think that's where the happiness for the devotee happiness is everywhere because once you awaken your Krishna consciousness I mean we're Satchitananda bliss you know mm-hmm. that's that's our true identity so once we awaken our consciousness we actually see Krishna's energy everywhere and we see ourselves for who we are and the happiness is you don't need to look for it at all no you don't that's yeah. true thank you that's very good thank you very much yes you hold these truths to be self-evident is that that from the Constitution? That's from the Constitution. Yeah, okay. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that. You know, people sometimes question, but when you experience the awakening of happiness, I had one experience early on in Christian consciousness. It was a Friday night, and I was chanting out in an empty field. And Krishna, oftentimes, if he sees our sincerity, sometimes he gives us a little taste of bliss, spiritual bliss. And... I, he was reciprocated in that way. So I felt some spiritual bliss. And then I just had a realization. I was like, how is it that I've never been, I've never been this happy before? But I'm not even doing, like, what am I doing? I'm just chanting some words. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm in an empty field chanting some words. Why is it that I feel so happy? I don't, I mean, I'm not even, I'm not pleasing anyone. I'm not, like, eating anything. I'm not drinking anything. I'm not listening to music. Why would I feel happier than I've ever felt in my life? On a Friday night, doing nothing. Everyone's just chanting some words. Why? So, we hold these truths, like we can actually, we can actually taste Krishna. We, we're, Krishna, God is not different than these names. Yeah, that's So, right. we're actually experiencing the bliss of the soul in connection with Exactly. Krishna's incarnation in the sages is literally the same, right? Yeah. 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 Go for it. Oh, yeah. You can, yes. Of course. Okay. Okay. Oh, I should know. <laughs>
thank you for sharing. That's a powerful story. I got a testimony. Yes. So, it's quite interesting. First time I ever chanted by myself in a room. I locked myself up in my bedroom. And I said, I was determined to do three rounds. That was, like, huge. Because I had never done, not even, you know, a round. So doing three was going to be like, whoa, you know. So I remember closing the door, shutting everyone out for that moment. And dedicating that time to Krishna. I just said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I just started chanting out loud. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare Ram, Hare Ram, 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 Hare Hare. And I did this, I don't know for how long. Maybe it took me like 30 minutes to do all three rounds. But when I opened my eyes, because my eyes were closed and I was chanting. Because I was going through a lot of my life. I was chanting. And it was almost, it was, it was like my heart's cry. I couldn't even explain it. But it was being transmitted through this mantra. smoked a joint or done any of that stuff. I've never been interested in it. So I don't know what that feels like. I don't know what that high is like, but a lot of people rave about it. They talk about it. They think it's like the big thing, right? The THC buzz or whatever. But I'll tell you what, man. What I was experiencing was beyond any high that any of the people that I've ever been surrounded by have ever experienced. Why? Because not only was I full of bliss, but I was so peaceful. I was high. I was peaceful. I was happy. I was overjoyed. I just couldn't contain myself. And that was my first taste. That was like my first experience with this mantra. I never experienced that again. And I've chanted the holy names. A lot of holy names. But I never experienced that. Well, actually, I did one more time. That was during a cure time. But anyways, the point is that when you get a taste of that, sometimes it'll be tangible, but sometimes it might not be. But it doesn't change the fact that it's absolutely purifying and changing your life. It is literally opening your eyes. It's really, really powerful. And I feel like maybe Krishna knew that I needed that that slight reciprocation to kind of validate what I was doing. And it's not like you're always going to get that. So if you're seeking some of these things, a lot of times Krishna knows your intention. If you're just kind of like trying to seek some kind of high, you know, and a lot of times he might not allow you to experience it. But I was not truly seeking any of that. I was just being sincere. I just, I was chanting because I wanted Krishna. So many people talk about Krishna. I wanted him for myself. I wanted to test this out. So that's what I did. And, I, and I, I'll tell you what, I've been hooked ever since. So, yeah, it's just my testimony. Really cool. My two cents. Really cool. You know, the interesting thing about it is, is that oftentimes when we come to these points in time in our lives when like we're stressed out or we're having like maybe we're just having a bad moment or whatever you know in our life those bad moments often we think really deeply about what's going on in our lives you know uh, good times yeah we just go through the good times and have a good time we don't think too deeply but when something bad happens that's when we really go deep we start thinking about things why is this happening to me why am I suffering like this? Why am I, why am I so miserable? You know, what's what's going on? You know, who am I? What is my place? You know, all these questions start coming up. So I think the the real thing is is that that this is a time to really start inquiring into who you are, what you're supposed to be doing, 
and really seeking deep down inside, you know, for that. And when you accept these particular things that we've said and and all that, then you start chanting the holy names. That's the beginning to purify yourself. Yes. I wanted to just uh, mention something based on what Ernesto Prabhu was saying. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, there's one verse in Bhagavatam that says that when you when you engage in devotional service, you receive knowledge and, de- and detachment. Mm. So no- knowledge is actually spiritual knowledge. Yep. So you bring direct perception of, of spirit and detachment from matter. So he was saying that you know you don't always t- all the times get like a jolt of the spiritual bliss. No. But what you do get is if you look back over time, if you chant consistently and you do it as a practice to please Krishna for the sake of making spiritual progress, you look back over time and you can see how Krishna has allowed you to be free from different attachments that bound you to like things you were talking about that Absolutely. perpetuate the cycle of misery, basically. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then also how you gain spiritual insight in so many different ways. Yes. So it might not, it's, it's generally like a, a gradual process. It is. So you can look back and see, like, wow, like I used to really, I used to not be able to go a day without doing this, and now I don't even care about it. Yeah. Or, you know, I used to have this doubt, but now that doubt is gone. Now I have, I have understanding of it. So you can actually see that the process actually works. Right. It, it does. And it manifests. Absolutely. And, and oftentimes when we start something uh, to like meditation or any kind of form of meditation or, or form of, uh, of, you know, stress relief and like deep breathing or whatever the uh, people will, will say, there is sometimes some, uh, some relief. You know, you feel, oh, this is kind of nice. Oh, I feel good. And chanting can do that. You know, it certainly can because it's a form of meditation. A lot more than that, but it is certainly a form of meditation. And so it can do that if you're doing it very sincerely and doing it very calmly. And you can get that feeling right away. But yeah, over time, it certainly takes this gradual thing to really get the real potency out of it and, and patience through it. Krishna has seen our sincerity and he's reciprocating with us. So it's a personal effect. Exactly. So saying, why does it happen sometimes, but why is it not? Because it's very personal. Right. And Krishna is reciprocating. Actually, Bhatti um, Narayan Swami from San Diego, he was saying, it's kind of like if you if you glued yourself to a seat, mm-hmm. you're sitting on the seat, and somebody's 10 feet away. There's no way that you can shake that person's hand. Right. Because you're glued to the seat. Right. But if that person comes over to you, comes close to you, you can easily shake their hand. Yeah. So the, the idea is that, like, we can't perceive spirit, we can't perceive God through our own endeavor. Because we're little divatmas, right? And, and in a vast cosmos that's created by the Lord. But the idea is, is that when the Lord is pleased with us through our spiritual endeavor, then the Lord comes and reveals. He says, yeah, "Now you can like, exactly. spiritualize the Yes, absolutely. So it's, it's actually Krishna reciprocating with us, rather than us having some sort of self. Right. Um, Whatever. Yeah, no, something like that. No. Yeah. yeah. There's an exchange that's going on so there. It's a personal no. exchange. Right? Yeah, personal exchange. No doubt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Any other questions or comments? Anybody has? Just, I wanted to say one more thing. Yes. The, what's quite interesting about this whole pursuit towards happiness is that at the end of the day, 
you realize that the only thing that matters is what makes Krishna happy. <laughs> yeah, really. And what yeah. makes Krishna happy is ultimately what makes you the most happy. It's what ultimately makes you blissful. Yes. So in this pursuit towards happiness, you realize, I just want to please Krishna. Yeah. What brings him joy? What brings him happiness? And he says in the Bhagavad Gita, or in the Srimad Bhagavatam, I'm not exactly sure where, but he says that when you please my devotee, what's interesting is he says, because a lot of people think, well, I should just go directly to God and I should please God, right? Because if mm-hmm. I offer some, some kind of service to God directly, then it would please him more. Krishna says the opposite. He says in, in one of the scriptures that if you serve his devotee, then he is the most pleased. Yes. So becoming yeah. the servant of the servant is the goal that we strive for and actually brings us the highest joy. It transcendental is. bliss and ecstasy beyond yes. anything that we've ever tasted in this material world. It's completely selfless and it doesn't have us in the center. You yeah. see this idea of pursuing happiness still places us in the center. We're still thinking, how can I gratify my senses in some way? Right. Right? But the devotee's thinking, okay, I'm no longer in the center because mm-hmm. the center was never my position to begin with. And the interesting point that you make there, I'm glad you made that point because it's very interesting. Even when we're not at that platform, yeah. even in the material world, we do that to a little bit of a degree. And like, for instance, when you give somebody a birthday present, yep. it's, it's the joy that you see in their face from what you gave them. You know, same thing at Christmas. When Christmas time happens, it's not so much you getting the presents. It's really you giving somebody else a present they, they really like. So we have a natural tendency to want to please in that servitude. So that's a great point. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? All right. Once you enjoy our prashadam, thank you very much for being here. Hare Krishna. Dr. Ken Multiple services. <laughs> <laughs>